1874, all of England mourned when they heard of the death of their medical missionary explorer to Africa, Dr. David Livingstone. Famous for decades of tireless work to spread the good news of Jesus while at the same time stopping the spread of diseases and the slave trade that plagued Africa. On April 18th, Livingstone was given a 21-gun salute and a hero's funeral at Westminster Abbey. Though his body was laid to rest in England, his heart was left in Africa, literally. Chuma and Susie, Livingstone's closest companions in his last years, as part of their African tradition of embalming, cut out Livingstone's heart. They buried it in what is now modern Zambia. Inspired to overcome their native superstitions of carrying a dead body, Chuma and Susie then took what would be a one-year on-foot journey to walk Livingstone's body the thousand miles to the coast of Africa. Livingstone's body set sail for England with this note attached. You can have his body, but his heart belongs in Africa. Clearly, there was something different, something distinct about Dr. Livingstone that led to his heart remaining in Africa after his death. And Livingstone's life illustrates Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats in that when Jesus returns for you and for me, my sisters, our eternal destiny will depend upon where or to whom our hearts belong. In response to his disciples' questions regarding the fulfillment of his kingdom that would bring about the end of this world as we know it, Jesus tells many parables found in Matthew 24 to 25, and we have studied many of them. In his final recorded parable of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus boldly foretells of a great separation, the day of judgment, that will lead to two very different eternal destinies. We will all go into eternal life or eternal destruction. In the words of Kenneth Bailey, Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats boldly proclaims, There is life after death, and earthly life is related to it. So what about you and me? As we are in the midst of this earthly life, we have been given this parable that we might be certain of our destiny, that we might be certain our destiny is eternal life. This is, again, why we have been given the parable of the sheep and goats. Will you stand with me to read Matthew 25, 31 to 46, out of respect for God's word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, you did not do it. Truly, I will say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Father, we thank you for every bit of your written word, revealing who you are to us and speaking life into us. We thank you for the parts of your word that comfort us. And we thank you for the parts of your word that convict us and exhort us and sober us. May you have your way with us tonight. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to respond. May we repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So here we find Jesus' parable. Separating out those who have entered his kingdom from those who have not. The sheep from the goats. And here we find that Jesus identifies a demonstrated difference, a distinctive dynamic resulting in a definite destiny. So let's jump in. There is a demonstrated difference between these sheep and the goats. Jesus' parable with the sheep illustrates faith. And what he's illustrating here is that faith results in a demonstrable difference. Faith in the Son of Man. When speaking of his return, Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man. It was his favorite title for himself. Over 50 times in the Gospels, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Why? Because that's why he came to earth the first time. He came to be the man we were created to be but failed. In Genesis 1, to 28, and then in also Genesis 2, 7, we see the creation account. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then a zoom in in Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. It's amazing. You and I, sisters, we have been made by and for the love that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A love that is so powerful. A love that created you and me and wanted us to be part of it. And that first man and woman distrusted their father. As you know, Genesis 3, everything unraveled. Adam and Eve rebelled. And their relationship to their father creator unraveled. Their relationship to themselves 
unraveled. They knew shame for the first time. Their relationship to one another unraveled. They began to blame and lie. And their relationship to creation unraveled. There were thorns, among many other things. Sin entered the world, bringing hunger, thirst, nakedness, sickness, loneliness, captivity to suffering and death. Yet, our Father refuses to forget his own. Throughout the pages of the Old Testament, he continues to say that he refuses to forget his people. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah speaking for God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. How great is the love of our God. So great that he sent his son into this broken, unraveling world to be the son of God that you and I have failed to be. And he sent his son to evidence And bring us back into the love of our Father. As C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, the Son of God became the Son of Man to make us sons of God. The Son of God became the Son of Man to make us sons of God. Faith in the Son of Man is trust in Jesus' life and death and resurrection to reunite us to our real Father, our true Father. And because he is our true father, when we are reunited to him, he weaves us back together. He pulls back together everything that has unraveled. Faith in the Son of Man is trust in his glorious return to finish what he began at the cross and the empty tomb. And here is where Jesus' parable begins. Upon Jesus' unmistakably glorious return... All nations of the world throughout the ages will clearly see what his followers only now believe by faith. The Son of Man is the King of Kings. We will also see whose hearts are his, whose hearts belong to his kingdom. Jesus' return will bring the final separation of all that he has promised, the wheat from the tares, the good fish from the bad fish, the wise maidens from the foolish ones, the forgivers from the unforgivers. Those who inherit the kingdom demonstrate the difference of being blessed by their father with a new heart. They have a new life in the Son. Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if they have trusted in the Son of Man, who is the King of Kings, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Throughout the New Testament, we see written and we see evidenced around us that there is an unbreakable connection that exists between what we believe and what we do. You did it today. You sat on a chair. You believed it would hold you. You turned the ignition key. You believed your car would turn on. That's faith. That that would happen. That those actions would lead to something. There is an unbreakable connection that exists between what we believe and what we do. What we do not do, we really don't believe. The final separation is not based on what we do alone or what we believe alone. But it is based on a doing that flows from belief. This is faith. Given a new nature, a process begins by which we enter a new normal. And that new normal is faith. 
Having a severely disabled daughter created for our family a brand new normal. And it's only when letting others into our life these 24 years later that we realize we don't live like everybody else. We're in the process of needing to train up some, some new people to help care for Aubrey. And Olivia had said that one of her friends, Claire, might be interested. And I got Claire's permission to share this story. And so Claire came over to be trained in how to take care. I mean, Olivia says, you've got to show her how to take care of Aubrey. And Jeff and I are thinking, what's to show? This is just what we do. Well, Claire comes over and she's watching Jeff dress Aubrey. And he's trying to keep her balanced while putting her pajamas on. And Claire says, you're pretty good at that. To which Jeff said, I hope so. I've been doing it for 24 years. What is faith's new normal? Jesus' return will identify those blessed by the Father by something disturbingly simple. Acts of kindness towards his needy, hurting, marginalized. This is the new normal. Interesting. Not acts of kindness towards humanity in general but towards Jesus' brothers and sisters who are in physical, emotional, and social distress. Now, Jesus is not dismissing God's commands to care for the poor and the oppressed of humanity. Throughout God's word, we are taught of the importance of caring for all who suffer, particularly those who suffer to no fault of their own. Yet the basis of Jesus' separating the sheep from the goats, is kindness towards the least of his brothers. A name Jesus uses throughout Matthew's gospel for those who have trusted in him. If you remember in Matthew 12, Jesus is being told that his mother and his brothers are waiting outside to speak to him, to which Jesus replied in Matthew 12, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What is most interesting about Jesus' parable is that although Jesus clearly identifies himself as the hungry, as the sick, as the naked, as the lonely, as the imprisoned of his kingdom, this is not why... His followers show kindness towards those who are his brothers and sisters. These sheep are not distinguished by conscious acts of kindness, but unconscious ones. And here we find that under this demonstrated difference is a distinctive dynamic. Jesus' parable illustrates that faith in him will create a distinctive dynamic among those who share it. Family. Family. Family with the sons of God. There is a natural outworking of becoming family when we are given the gift of faith. When Aubrey was born, I thought I took home a healthy baby girl. When at five months I learned she would be severely disabled, she was no longer the baby I welcomed into my home. I didn't want to care for this stranger. And I spent her early years anxiously looking to the day when she would become an adult. And I could, with a little less guilt, put her in a place where somebody else would feed her and clothe her and bathe her and wipe her runny nose. 
during her growing years, something happened. She became family. Her disabilities no longer separated her from me, nor did my abilities separate me from her. And that is how life with Aubrey became normal. It has been the same with our persecuted sisters across the world. I was first asked to come and see, and after two years of fighting it, I went and saw, one and done. They were strangers to me. I had no intention of going back. Not just due to their culture, but their physical, emotional, and spiritual distress was overwhelming. It was years before sisterhood became normal. Faith creating family can be a process, a process that is only overcome by proximity. When we are genuine family, we will look after our brothers and sisters, offering food, clothing, shelter, at the expense of comfort, at the expense of convenience. Unconsciously, our goods in this world are only as good as the good they can do for our brothers and sisters. Because we know they are the Father's good. We can go back to the Genesis account and we can know what we truly deserve. And we can know that all the good that we have is because of his grace and his kindness to us. See, when we have conscious have-to acts of kindness, this is rooted in superiority. Pride. And that kind of superiority and pride shames those who are in need. It doesn't help them. It unravels them further. It doesn't put them back together. God creates family by giving some of us the ability to give relief and by giving us others who need it. In every unconscious act of kindness, his kingdom comes. It calls this world into question. And it's not about the monumental. The entire nation responded to those hurting at 9-11. It's about the everyday, the right in front of us, the Lazarus at the gate. It's not planting an orchard. It's offering food. It's not building a well. It's a cup of water. It can be those things also, but it can be the very simple everyday things. I have a new friend who came this morning, and she gave me permission to share about what happened to her. At eight weeks of age, her baby boy died suddenly. Unable to function, a friend came over every day to blow dry her hair so she could just read her Bible. I have permission from one of our leaders to share about when her close friend, another sister in the Lord, was suffering with cancer. She took her 45-minute lunch and drove 15 minutes to make scrambled eggs and 15 minutes back to get to the classroom to make sure she ate something. In every unconscious act of kindness, his kingdom breaks into this world. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, if you have love for one another. This is the most powerful illustration of the kingdom Jesus has given us, and that is being family. 
Human insignificance and distress is rooted in broken relationships, and that is not to be among God's people. Our love for one another is the breaking in of Trinity's love, evidencing God's kingdom, and putting lives back together. It is no wonder that in the book of Acts we read that, that, that the early brothers and sisters devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When we are family with the sons of God, one another, we are family to the very son of God. What is done for or against his own is done for or against Jesus himself. Let that rock your world. On his way to persecute Christians... Saul, who later became Paul, was stopped on a Damascus road, blinded. He hears the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This is the resurrected Jesus, who is saying, To Saul, as you persecute them, you are persecuting me. To see this world's goods as only as good as they bring to us as individuals is to be a homewrecker. It's to be a rebellious child. Our hearts are not living out of a fatherhood of God. They don't belong to him. When I was in distress, you were caught up in your ease, your pleasure, your health, your freedom, and you missed me, Jesus says. When did we see you, we say to him. We are clueless because this is how we were born. This is the normal into which we've been born and function. It's so normal that doing acts of kindness can't change us. Not from the inside out, not real change. It will take faith in the one whose act of kindness alone can change us. Jesus, the Son of God, made man. As significant as this last recorded parable in Matthew is, what Jesus said after was even more significant. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Though innocent, he was imprisoned. Though the King of glory, he was stripped naked. The creator of the oceans was thirsty. He was abandoned by God. He was crucified. He so identified with our brokenness, he took on its totality on the cross. For our sake, Jesus, for our sake, 
he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That we might receive the spirit of adoption as daughters who cry out, Abba, Father. The perfect Son of Man sacrificed his life to make us sons and daughters of God, to reunite us to our true Father. And because he is our true Father, when we are reunited to him, he weaves us back together. To the extent we recognize our estrangement from God apart from Jesus and what Jesus did to make us family, we will be family with and to his own. A few weeks back, I shared about Lena, one of our faraway sisters, name changed, about she and her husband who had to go into hiding for two years in the face of imprisonment for their faith. When Michelle and I met Lena ten years ago, to say I was intimidated by her faith is an understatement. Her worship is like that of the scandalous woman Jamie taught us. Her courage is like that of the Samaritan. Lena has planted house churches throughout her country. And when I told her that you pray for her back here at home, when I first met her, she said, good, because God will hold them accountable for that. Now, are you intimidated? This past visit, Lena told Michelle and I that when we first came to her land 10 years ago, Severe persecution had just broken out. And in light of this, Lena begged the Lord for permission to not let Michelle and I near her leaders. It was too risky. During her daily three-hour prayer time, God said, Michelle and Patty are family. I sent them to you. You let them minister to your people, and you minister to them. Neither of us felt like family. God brought us together because we are, and so that we would know we are, that we would be changed forever. C.S. Lewis in his book, Four Loves, writes, You have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Being family with the distressed across the world has deepened my faith in the Son of God and has enabled me to see his kingdom come in ways that are countless. Faith makes us family. And family is how he builds our faith, our faith in forever. There is a definite destiny. Jesus' parable illustrates that faith makes us family, and family has everything to do with forever. Sisters, there is life after death, and life on earth has everything to do with it. There is forever without the Son of Man. That is a definite destiny. Jesus says in his parable, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Cursed because they will be apart from him who is everything blessed and everything good. No hope, no joy, no peace, no love, no laughter. Eternal punishment, so indescribable, unquenchable fire, weeping and gnashing are symbolic of its horrors. 
Matthew Henry writes, the streams of mercy and grace being forever excluded, there is nothing to extinguish it. Eternal fire, don't miss this, sisters, eternal fire prepared not originally for the goats, but for the devil and his angels. Was not originally prepared for mankind, but for the devil and his angels. As God speaks through his prophet Isaiah, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, and not rather that he, she should turn from her way and live? See, those who depart are those who have refused to come. Jeremiah 29, 13, God promises, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. As C.S. Lewis summarizes it, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Like the unrepentant rich man, separation in life is fixed eternally. And we may wrestle with this idea of judgment, of separation, and we should. Why would God give us a second thought? much less a second chance. It's not hell that we should wrestle with. It's the fact that there is eternal heaven that we should wrestle with and what God gave to make it so. It is because he refused to forget his own that there is another destiny. It's because he gave his one and only son that there is another destiny. And that is forever with the king of kings. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world. Imagine, prepared by the Father's love, wisdom, and power. Made possible by the sending of his Son. Isaiah, we get a picture of this. Again, I think some of this is symbolic, just a taste of how amazing it will be. The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad. And rejoice in his salvation. Oh, sisters, when we grasp God's refusal to forget us, we will not forget his own. Not because we have to, but because we're family. And we need family. This is a broken world. Where not all sins are judged or good deeds rewarded, God's own suffer and the guilty go free. Yet, as we sang tonight, this is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Amen? This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, will be satisfied and earth and heaven 
be one. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. When Jesus returns, we will come boldly to that throne of glory because of Jesus. Until then, sisters, we have a throne of grace that we are also told we can come boldly to, to get the help we need to be the family others need. The ascended Jesus has buried his heart here on earth with his own through his Holy Spirit. Timothy Keller writes, God is a spiritual tornado. He will never bless you except to make you a blessing. As many of you know, probably most of you know by now, this is my last year with uh, leading and teaching sister to sister and at Trinity. And some of you have asked, what's next? And you've been so kind and sweet and encouraging. And I don't know. But I know this, we're family. And I want to thank you for being family to me in countless unconscious ways. You have been family to me, to my severely disabled daughter, to my adopted daughter, to my persecuted sisters. They have become your own. We were strangers and you took us all in. And I thank you for the privilege of getting to be your family. Some of you have shared your journeys, painful journeys of sickness and aloneness with me, and you've let me be part of it. And I just want to thank you. I have learned from you what Matthew Henry writes. Christ is more among us than we think he is. And though I don't know what's next, I pray that for each of us, all that Jesus has done will be increasingly take hold of us so that we are unable to bear seeing our sisters treated insignificantly or in distress, both across the world, across the city, and across this room. Will you commit with me? That is my commitment to you. I am not retiring. (laughs) Together, we are not. He has not returned. Will we commit? For when we meet the timeless needs that will remain until he returns, we get to be windows into genuine faith. Faith that creates family, others are drawn into, bringing the return of the king and the fulfillment of his kingdom. Oh, this is our father's world. Father, thank you that this is your world and that you have sent your son and through him have brought us into your eternal kingdom. And we thank you that we do know what's next for each of us, the privilege of getting to be family. Family that encourages each other in our faith and forever. May it be so, even as we continue to gather around your word right now, sister to sister. In your son's name we pray. Amen.